0: Hi, I'm Cynthia, Recovering Al-Anon. I stole your line, Blanche. You're going to get to hear more from me later this afternoon. But, uh, oh, in the balloon, it was Surrender to Win. And I know that um, I fought going to Al-Anon for over a year. I had this um, vision of Al-Anon meetings being little old ladies with tight, curled hair sitting around the table going, and, of course, they were all in cotton house dresses that didn't fit well. And I just re- really didn't think that that was my style. It was at the time, but I didn't want to reinforce it. Uh, things did keep getting worse and worse and worse at our house. And I remember with my, uh, my alcoholic saying, well, if I go to Al-Anon, you will regret every minute of it because I was involved in other things kind of running from my responsibilities. And I didn't want to give up the time to solve his problem. But finally, I had the mental picture of myself in the center of one of those cement building blocks. And every, everywhere I turned, my way was blocked. I couldn't go forward or backwards. Anyway, and luckily, things got so bad that I finally just was saying, Okay, Uncle, I quit. I'll go to Al-Anon, whatever you say. And so that was how I got to my first meeting. I finally gave in and um, been on the winning road ever since. It's great, and I'm so glad to see you all here, and I'm so glad to be here. And it was a struggle. That detour was tough last time. (laughs) But I'll talk to you more later. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ann. I'm a grateful Al-Anon. Hi, Ann. Suffer to get well.
1: Oh, dear. Um, I've been in the program about seven years, and I'm still suffering to get well. And I think that's God's way of keeping me active with the program, involved, and his way of helping me to get to that end of that line of serenity. Thank you.
2: I was thinking about my first Al-Anon meeting. I wasn't married to my alcoholic at the time, and I was in Sioux Falls, and he was in Rapid City. And he called and said, I'm going into treatment. And through several conversations after that, he said, they've told me not to make any new relationships. And wanting to do everything that he was supposed to do, he was saying to me, we've got to hold off this relationship of ours until I see what I'm like sober. And to me it was the touch of doom. I was just I just knew for sure that that was the end. And I was working and I could hardly keep from crying while I was working. So I picked up the phone and called the Al-Anon number in the phone book. Within 5 minutes I got a call back from a dear lady and she said she would come out and see me after work that afternoon. Well, she told me to go to a meeting that night and happened to be at Mary Gentner's at the motel. And I remember before I left for about two hours after work, I cried and I cried and I cried. And I have to confess that I took a few tranquilizers trying to get my courage up and Made up my mind that I couldn't go to that Eleanor meeting. I just could not go. I'd been crying too much. My face was red, my nose was red, my eyes were swollen. So I called the gal that had asked me to go, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't go. Well, she said, maybe next time. Just know that I'm thinking about you, and maybe the next meeting you can make. Well, I sat there, and just that phone call, almost just the caring in her voice, I stopped crying. Probably the tranquilizers had a little to do with it. And I went to the meeting, and I'm sure Mary doesn't remember, but I sat there like a zombie. I don't remember one thing that anybody said. But I went home, and calmer by then, of course, and somehow, just going, just having a body to sit in a chair, gave me... Uh, hope that if this marriage wasn't to take place that's the way it was supposed to be I didn't talk to God much at that time but I know that it was God's hand on my head saying just wait just wait so I waited I very <laughs> I well we've been married three years he's still sober I have a portion of serenity in my life, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you. hate to keep
3: it uh, I did that once. there was a there, in, there was a new woman that came into a meeting one time, and our meetings go from eight to nine o'clock, and I was there until twenty after eleven talking, and she's still coming, and that was like. Four months ago, and we were talking the other night, and she told me, which made me feel really, really good. I didn't believe her, but it made me feel good anyway. (laughs) That she said that it was because of me that she felt like she could come back, because she said that her problems didn't even come close to what the ones that I had at that time. And I feel that in that respect, her problems were probably just as great as mine. Because although they were different, she still had problems which were tearing her life apart and making it unmanageable the same as mine were. And the only thing that was different was the fact that her problems were different from mine. And I sat there with her that first night, and we just talked about what the program had done to help me and how much better I felt. And I went because I promised somebody. I didn't go because I just couldn't cope anymore. I went because I had made a promise, and I had backed out of it for three weeks as it was, and I was feeling real guilty about that. So I finally did go. And the friendship and the caring and honesty that I found at that first Al-Anon meeting I went to was something that I was really grateful for and again selfish because I didn't want to give that up and I'm finding I'm being very selfish these days I like it (laughs) because it feels good and I love to give it away because then I feel like I'm helping somebody else to find the same happiness and peace that I have found and in that respect then I get to keep it and that feels good and I really I really believe in it totally that's it I'm Jackie, and I'm al Hi, Jackie. I really don't have much to say. This is my first try at this. Um, give it away to keep it. Uh, I just started al and I haven't worked the steps, and I'm having a tough time right now. Um, I really don't know what to say, other than I'm glad I'm in the program because it's helped some so far, but I still
4: have to work the steps, and I'm just starting. Thank you. Die to live. <laughs> I'm Donna and I'm in Al-Anon I have been in Al-Anon for five years and I think this last year I really gave up for the first time Um, I went from my first meeting I heard the first step and then I jumped to the 12th step and carried the message home (laughs) and I skipped all the rest of them in between and uh, since last summer we had a real crisis at our house and i gave up completely and started working the steps on me and not trying to run anybody else's life my husband is sober now he went to treatment for the second time and this time it seems to be working but i feel so much better about me and i finally learned that serenity does not depend on their sobriety that we can be happy when we choose to. And this is such a good feeling. For a long time I used my higher power with his sobriety, totally. And if he would drink, then I lost all control. Now I have a higher power that I really understand and I really love. And a lot of miracles have happened in my life this year. And I'm very grateful to everyone that's here. I'm sorry my sponsor isn't here. She's in New York now. Her name is Skip, and a lot of people know her. And she has been a real help. Thank you. Also, I'm a very grateful member of
5: Al-Anon from the Big Thompson al Family Group in Loveland, Colorado. So, um, Mine says suffer to get well. And that's so true, I guess, for me, because if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through, I wouldn't have felt a need to come into the program of Al-Anon. I lived with three practicing alcoholics before I was 25 years old. And I don't say that because I'm proud of it. I'm just telling you that's how sick I was. And through that, there was a lot of suffering in that. You know, There were a lot of things that happened that caused me a whole lot of pain and caused my little boy a whole lot of pain. And since I came into this program, I don't have to hurt like I used to. You know, I know I have people I can go talk to. I know I have people who won't just pat me on the back and tell me, oh, you have a right to feel that way, you should feel that way. I have people who offer me solutions, and then it's up to me whether I want to go home and use them or if I just want to keep on hurting the way I have been hurting. I'm just real grateful to be here. I've heard a lot about this, this jamboree for a couple of years now, and I've been looking forward to coming. Couldn't come last year because I was sick. Um, and I guess it was a pretty serious illness, and I guess for me it brought me a whole lot closer to God. And um, I can't tell you I'm glad it happened, but I can tell you that because it happened, I am a lot closer to God. And anything that brings me closer to God is not a waste. You know, it's just a real blessing in my life. And it's just real nice to be here. I'm with my people, and I love it. Thank you. from Al-Anon in Loveland, Colorado. Hello. Die to live. Well, my husband has been an alcoholic since '74, and I put up with it and died several deaths before I decided, and my doctor decided that I needed to go to al He helped me to decide to go. And since I've been there, I've quit hurting inside. I don't cry as much. I'm easier to get along with. And... Uh, it's just been great for me. My health is much better. I'm a happier person. And I couldn't live without you people. Thank you. The new
6: 12 Steps and 12 Tradition book from Al Anon. And it's on sale for they're $5. And anybody that wants one, they're back there at the table. But get a hold of Judy if she's not sitting there. Judy, to stand up. Okay. And Florine's next. Thank
7: you. I'm Florine and I'm Alanon. I'm going to tell a little about, my se- about myself, how it was and how it is now. I grew up on a farm and I had two younger brothers, and my mother didn't work and she was always home when I got home. And my dad very seldom drank and he never went to town and drank. Then I met Leroy in high school, my husband. And we worked together at Penny's. We went to the same church. And as we were dating, he always drank a lot, but everybody else did too, so I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was all right. We got married while he was still in the service, and after he got out of service, he went back to work at Penny's. And uh, then in 1956, we were transferred to Lakewood, Colorado he, as a department manager. The drinking got worse, and... Uh, He always went out with the other guys from the other departments and and drank a lot, but I thought, well, maybe this is a way of getting on top of life. How little did I know it would get worse as time went on. Then in 1962, we were transferred to Albuquerque, New Mexico, as a, a shoe department manager, and he was opening up a big store there, a new one. And I thought, well, this is great, moving to a different town, be new people, different friends. Everything was going to be all right. How little did I know things got worse. Um, by that time, we had three daughters, but the drinking got worse, and I asked him to please quit drinking so much. and He'd always get furious, and he'd say, I can quit any time I want to, but I still had no idea that my husband was an alcoholic. Um, then in 1967, he was asked to resign from the penny company after 17 and a half years. That was really a low blow for us because all our future was in the penny company. Then we moved back to Scott's Bluff. And I had to go back to work, and, and he went to work. He found a job. And I was like all the other Al Anons, I'm sure. I'd look for his bottles, I'd dump them, I'd put the empty ones back, thinking that he wouldn't know or would say something and he never said anything I thought boy he is really far gone But how little did I know he went out and bought more just never said anything to me and um, I'd call his boss and I don't know how many times I'd have to call and say he had the flu he was homesick and uh, then he was charging at the liquor store and I went down there and I really got mad at those people and told him off and told him I was going to report him if they didn't quit it. I never did, but I'm sure they laughed after I left because it still continued. Finally, I had had it. I had him picked up at work, put him in jail, and then I went to court and had him sent to Fort Meade, South Dakota. He was very resentful about that. After being sober about four months, he was drinking again. His mom pleaded with him, and she says, Leroy, she says... I'll get the best for you. She says, I'll send you to Hazleton. So she paid for everything, and I thought, this is really going to do it now. He came home. After about six months, he was drinking again. Then I lost faith and trust in God. I couldn't understand why he was doing this to me. After the first time I had sent my husband to treatment, I came in contact with M.I.D., and came to El anon But I was like a yo-yo. I was in and out of El anon just like my husband was in and out of uh, AA. When he wasn't drinking and going to AA, then I went to al When he started drinking, I quit going. Um, I believe I was just as sick as my husband, if not sicker. I had him picked up two more times and put in jail. I sent him once to Hastings. And the other time, back up to Fort Meade again. Uh, when I sent him to Hastings, he was very furious. He says, just the crazy people go there, and I'm not crazy. But I thought he was. Um, also filed for two divorces. Then after six eight weeks, I took him back, thinking things would get all right. And I really didn't want a divorce because I thought this would hurt our children. But playing the silly games that we did... Did more damage to our daughters than a divorce would have. They always say AA hits their bottom, and I believe we Ellenons hit our bottom too. Um, six years ago, April, I asked my husband to pack his suitcase and get out. I couldn't believe I was saying this, but I'm sure that God was with me that morning because I was trembling. I was beside myself, really felt sick, and I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I had remembered that in Elanon they said, you've got to take care of yourself first. So after he had left finally at 3 o'clock that afternoon, it was like a whole load was lifted off my shoulders. He was really drinking bad again. Then he went to the, he got sober and went to the halfway house. He didn't last there very long. He was kicked out. Then he went to his mom's. Then he had went to another treatment center, and in the meantime, I filed for another divorce, third time. This time, I left to go through. I thought, this is it. I want nothing to do with him anymore. He'd write. I wouldn't answer. He'd call and ask me to go out for dinner, and I'd say, no, thank you, and hang up. Um, I kind of looked at this like tough love now because I really didn't think we'd get back together. But after our divorce was final, we started dating, and after a year of being divorced, we got remarried. I guess, um, now my husband has been sober six years, April the 24th. He just had his birthday. April the 26th, we were married 22 years and would have been 28. April the 28th, we were married five years. When my husband had his AA birthday, he said, it was my birthday, too. He says, you know, honey, you're pretty lucky. And I says, why is that? And he says, I don't know anybody else who has two birthdays and two anniversaries every year. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> that's true. <laughs> At least we can laugh about it. My husband said he looks to that year that we were being divorced as a year for us both to grow. And I believe we really have. Um, he is now... Um, a director of the Homestead Halfway House. And um, so after five treatments, centers, and three divorces, we really have a beautiful life. It is better now than it has ever been. And thanks to Al-Anon and AA, without it, I don't know where we would be today. Our three daughters are married. We have three real nice son-in-laws and one grandson. So for all of you new ones, And old ones out there who are still having problems, hang in there. For some of us, it takes a little bit longer. We're slow learners. Um, I'd like to share, before I close, a recipe for a happy new year that I got from a friend, and I thought this was really neat. Take 12 whole months, clean them thoroughly of all bitterness, hate, and jealousy. Make them just as fresh and clean as possible. Now cut each month into 28, 30, or 31 different parts, but don't make up the whole batch at once. Prepare it one day at a time out of these ingredients. Mix well into each day one part of faith, one part of patience, one part of courage, and one part of work. Add to each day one part of hope, faithfulness, generosity, and kindness. Blend with one part of prayer, one part of meditation, and one good deed. Season the whole with a dash of good spirits, sprinkle of fun, a pinch of play, and a cupful of good humor. Pour all of this into a vessel of love. Cook thoroughly over radiant joy, garnish with a smile, and serve with quietness, unselfishness, and cheerfulness, you're bound to have a happy new year. Thank you.
6: I'm, I'm Alamar. Hi, Penalty. Um, I don't have any notes to go by this morning because I forgot them at home. <laughs> but anyways, when I was little, my dad used to drink and drink and drink, and he used to go out on the truck because he was a truck driver all the time, and every time he came home. He always drank like a case of beer a day and always beat my mom. And she'd beat him back and tear his kids, me and my sister apart. And finally, my mother had no part of him, no more. And she got a divorce, I mean, about six years ago, maybe seven years ago. And my dad pleaded with her. Not to get as kids adopted by my stepfather, and she went ahead and done it under his back or behind his back, and he kept on drinking, and all the time he always went out and got drunk, and is really bad. And one day he came, asked us if we could st- spend the day with him, and my mom let us go, and we was spending the day with him and he took us to the zoo. And he had about, oh, i say about two six-packs in the car. And one right after another, he'd drink them. And when he got to the zoo, he was sitting there falling all over the place. And it was really embarrassing for me and my sister. And it's... Really, and then I'm getting nervous here. <laughs> uh, let's see, let's see, two years ago, after I was living with my mom, she decided that I was not doing good. I was getting bad grades in school. I was not doing. I was always getting into fights with her. We couldn't even sit down to the dinner table without fighting. And so she sent me up here to live with my dad and she thought the drinking was getting not very was getting lesser and so i started to get good grades but every night when my stepmother was working night shift he always went out and got drunk and sometimes took me to the bars with him and he always got drunk and always come home and beat the tar out of me every night when she was on 4 to 12 or 12 to 8 and sometimes when she wasn't working that he always went out and got drunk and started beating me and beating my mother my stepmother and finally he tried to kill himself we was up in Casper for a visit and he would drink a six-pack from here to uh Oh, I can't remember what that is. It's right outside Wyoming. It's a small town right outside Wyoming. And he, his, because of his drinking, he had ulcers and had part of his stomach and his test signs missing because of it. And when we got home, he just went in the house and got another beer. And he, Phyllis, told me that if he starts any of his stuff again. Just get out of the house and call the cops because I ain't going to go through this no more. And we had gotten into the house and he started up again. And I had just walked out of the kitchen and he took a knife and slit his wrist twice. I would walked back in and saw him laying there. And I ran out of the house and went down to my best friend's house because their dad was a cop and he called the ambulance. And then when we got to the hospital, I went back to see how he was doing. He told me he never wanted to see me again. And that tore me apart. And he just kept on ripping off the bandages. After he had gotten out of emergency, he came come after me, my stepmother, and my stepsister. He had to be literally carried out of that hospital by two cops. And my stepmother put me on a plane and sent me back to Texas. That was a year ago. In the past year, I have run away three times, four times. I had after I had. I have lived with two sets of foster parents. I have lived with. Uh, I have lived in a home for runaways. I ran away from there because I did not want to go back to my parents in Texas. And so they sent me to Oklahoma City and. I lived there for a couple of months. And then I left there because I couldn't take it there. Because they were always griping at me. And so I left there. And then my stepdad came up and put me on a bus. And we took the long way around. because. And they didn't even call my dad and tell me I was even going. My aunt called and said I was already on the bus and on my way up here. And so when I got here everything had changed dad was going to meetings and he's got me to go to meetings phyllis was going to meetings there was no more fights i'm starting to get good grades in school again hopefully (laughs) uh and i'm really glad to be here because i was scared to death i was coming back to what it was before and i'm just really happy thank you
7: Introduce Florence W., who is a single parent dealing with teenage problems.
6: Florence,
1: I'm Florence, and I'm Alanon. I'm new in this program, and I don't know how I got brave enough to accept this um, thing of talking to you today. But I hope that I do okay. I hope I do a fourth as good as Angela did. That was really good, Angela. You didn't have anything to be nervous about. (laughs) Um, First, I'd like to tell you how I came to be here to start with. Um, I uh, was having a lot of problems at work. I was going to work uh, crying at night and depressed, and I was not speaking to them. I'd go to work and not talk to anybody, and... And they didn't know what was the matter with me. And finally, I went to the office and talked to the one that was in charge. And she immediately called uh, the supervisor over me, who called over to chemical, um, the chemical department over at the south unit and got had me go to Chuck Stump, who was really wonderful. And he said, I won't see you unless you go to Al-Anon. He said, before you come back here, and you've got to come back here, you've got to go to Al-Anon. And this was the last place that I thought I would ever get any help for my problem because I had um, been all over. And I had inquired everywhere uh, to try to get help, and I couldn't get help. And this is terrible because I know there's a lot of parents like me that uh, that just don't know what way to turn. And I um, just couldn't find the help that I needed. Um, I It all started uh, with my teenage son, who was 17 at the time. Uh, All of us, when we have terrible problems, we have this natural thing in us that defense mechanisms that um, when we can't face something, we have these mechanisms to help us face it of denial and and all these different steps that you go through. And I was in a denial step. I, I knew that I had a really bad problem But I would not admit it to myself, probably because of my work. I had uh, gone home from work so many times. I had taken care of patients on angel dust. I had um, come home crying practically, telling my children about um, how people act when they're on angel dust. I had gone home from the hospital, and after taking care of young people that had came in uh, on acid, And um, told my children about this, and um, my children listened, and they acted shocked like me. So uh, when I thought that I had this kind of problem, I denied it because I thought this can't happen to me. It it just can't because my children just wouldn't do this. This was my denial. Uh, I first realized I had a problem uh, when my son that was a straight-A student, 17 years old, all of a sudden was a straight F student. There was nothing he passed. Um, I talked to his teachers. They didn't know what his problem was. He started losing a lot of weight. He stopped eating. He would go out at night, and uh, I didn't know where he was. And uh, yet he would tell me that he wasn't doing anything wrong. But yet his grades kept dropping, and he kept losing weight. He stopped eating. He stopped communicating with all of us. Um, he acted completely abnormal. And I still uh deny that I had a problem. I uh, when this happens, when you have this terrible denial, you have things that go on in your body that this self mechanism that causes your blood pressure to go up and you stop eating and your heart doesn't work right and you're You don't eat right, you have abdominal cramps, vomiting, nausea, you don't sleep right, severe panic, and I had all these things. I wasn't sleeping anymore, I went to the doctor, and uh, about that time I discovered that my blood pressure, that had always been low, uh, shot way up, and so I still denied that I had a problem with Matthew. The doctor put me on um, high blood pressure medication and told me to go to California for a few weeks to visit my relatives out there, and he said that he was sure that by the time I came home that things would be better and that my blood pressure would be down. Well, I came home, my blood pressure was down, and one more week, just one week in my home, and it shot back up. So at the table one night, I I finally admitted, uh, Matthew uh, grabbed Joni, my 13-year-old daughter, and he said, If you ever, ever take drugs, I'll beat the hell out of you. And he started going to the library and doing research on drugs. And I I said, why all this interest in drugs, you know? And no apparent reason. He just was doing it. Uh, He didn't try to get a job. And if he had a job, he never stayed with it. Then I um, suspected pretty strong what my problem was. I went to my bishop at church. He couldn't help me. I asked my doctor, and my doctor said we don't want to send him to Hastings. Uh, But he didn't seem to know where I could get help. He said to call mental health. I called mental health. And they really gave me, you know, really didn't help me. And I really didn't know where to turn for help. I never even dreamed that um, AA, you know, was something that I could go to uh, until I had this problem at my job. Uh, Then... One day, I heard that Matthew was um, shooting drugs. He was on hard drugs. And that's when I faced, really faced my problem. I thought, my God, this can't be. I could uh, imagine my kid with a dirty syringe, you know, looking, poking for a vein. This just about killed me, I thought, in my job especially, you know. I. So I finally decided, I had always shielded my ex-husband, but I decided I'd better go talk to him. Ask him. You know, take this to him. So I went to him, and he did the same as I. It was denial. But I cried. I we had a little family council with my other son. I called my son in Utah, who is a law student. And uh, so my husband said, my ex-husband said, "Don't do anything, and I'll follow him." And I said, well, he's usually up to the park, you know, up to town at to this park. They call it Hippie Park, I guess. It's a new name for it. So he went up there several nights, and, and he would just lose him. He would see him there, and then he was gone. And Matt would show up 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Maybe the next day he got thinner and thinner, and his grades got worse and worse. Um, but I had faced reality then. And I thought, uh, how can this child do this to me? I have six children. All the time I was pregnant with every one of these children. I was so careful. I never took aspirin. I never drank coffee. I never smoked. I never drank alcohol. I did everything I could to have a nice, healthy infant. After they were born, they had all their vitamins. I I tried to be a good mother. And I thought... uh, all these things I had did and to have my son knowing what he knew about drugs uh, could do this to me, could hurt me like this. And so I rejected Matthew. In fact, I hated him. I know Christmas Eve, um, he came home about 3 o'clock in the morning. He was laying on the in front of the TV, you know, all drugged. And I just looked at him. I just hated him. But I didn't really. I loved him. He, uh... When I started rejecting him, he ran away from home, and he was very sick the night that he disappeared. He was—I had taken him to the doctor. He was on medication. He left all his medication, and his dad and I were beside ourselves until um, about three days later. We found him over in Denver and got him back home. And he said that he would change that. He had learned a lesson, but he was straight just three days. And he was back on the drugs. And it was about this time that I started coming to AA. And the first time I came, I looked for a back door. And I went in the back door, and I sat at the chair closest to the door. I don't think I looked up or said much of anything. I think I cried most of the time. And I think that the next few meetings, I acted just about like that. But it was just wonderful. To come to a place where there were people that had the same problem as I did, it was, and that there was a place that I could get some help. I I didn't um, I just didn't think that I would find it there, and it it was just a wonderful feeling, and it's still a wonderful feeling. And and when I'm down now, um, I had a bad time the other day, and I went out and slammed the door so hard that about broke Matt was standing on the porch, and I was so disgusted with him and i thought now i can't act this way this is you know i this isn't what i've learned in aa and so i just lay down on the couch and re- relaxed you know and and i felt better and when i have these crises i i think about the things that you people have told me and talked to me about and and i i get myself in hand i don't i don't fall apart like i did i can go to work now and laugh it, i still have really hard times um uh, matthew uh isn't on hard drugs anymore. Uh, I wouldn't say that he's straight, not the way I'd like him to be straight, but he's a complete different human being. Uh, I can communicate with him. I love him dearly. We had a little scene a few days ago, and uh, he says, I i feel so, that everybody's so down on me, Mom. I feel so down, and I feel like you're down on me. And he started to cry. And I put my arms around him, and and I told him how much I loved him, and I cried with him. And we just have a real good feeling between us now. And I know that Matt's really trying hard, and I don't know if it wasn't for this program if it would have came out this way. Because he ran away the second time before I started coming here. And uh, he still was underage, and I wanted to do something before he got 18. So I had the police pick him up, and they put him in jail. And when he came home, he, he was so bitter towards me, he says, I'll never forgive you for this, Mom, ever. He says, they wouldn't even give me a comb to comb my hair. And he said that I sat in that awful place and there wasn't any blankets or anything. I sat all night and I didn't have a comb to comb my hair. And that was his, the worst thing about being in jail is they wouldn't give him a comb. (laughs) That he didn't, he didn't hold this against me at all. And we had some really good feelings. Well, my problems aren't over because now I have a daughter that's on drugs, hard drugs. And so now I I think that I'm coping with this situation a lot better. I'm not communicating with her now. Uh, I don't know why, that I have to have this in my life, but I guess there's a reason. And I hope that she comes out of it as well as he does, and maybe because I've had the experience with him, that I'll be able to cope with it with her. I I don't know. She uh, ran away, same as Matt did, about two months ago. And I coped quite well with that. I uh, used this tough love thing with her. I refused to give her the money to come home. And when she, before she left, the reason she ran away was she had been living in an apartment and she decided to move back home. And I just gave her the rules. I said, this is the way it will be in my home. And uh, she just thought it was terrible. And so she says, I don't feel welcome here. I don't. If you have to have these kind of rules, it's not for me. And so she ran away, didn't tell me she was gone or anything. And But then she came home, and she says, I'll abide by your rules. And she doesn't like it, but so far she's abiding by my rules. But she isn't around very much, and we aren't communicating the way I wish we could. And I'm going to try harder. And with the help of this program, I hope that um, I can make it as well with her as I did with him. Uh, When I was going through this, I lost all interest in everything. I didn't care. I stopped doing all the things I enjoyed doing. I was tired all the time. I cried easily. I'm kind of an extrovert. I got to be an introvert. I didn't care about talking to anybody. I uh, felt horribly, horribly guilty. I... I had jo- Chrissy tell me three days ago, she said, she just pointed her finger at me, and she said, you are the one that's the blame for me being the way I am. And I says, and how do you get this, Chrissy? She says, because when what you did when I was 11 years old. Well, Maddie had brought this up too, kind of. Um, I got a divorce. I had a baby a year old. I had three children under, four children under nine. And I didn't cope with my divorce, well. and I wasn't any different than any other divorcee. I I, uh, changed my style of living. I drank too much. I ran around too much. I uh, wasn't what I had always been. And so they said, you are the one that caused us to do this. Now, Matthew doesn't feel that way now, but Chrissy's giving me this. And I says, no. I acted like a perfectly normal human being. You're 20 years old, Chris, and you should understand this, that I didn't do anything that was any different than a lot of divorces do. And don't put the, the guilt on me, because what you're doing is not my fault. I said, you should be old enough to understand these things. And this is one of my problems was that I felt so guilty. I thought if I had stayed with their father, you know, uh, none of this would have happened. It was impossible to stay with him. It was my sanity. I couldn't have stayed with him. And what I did wasn't any different than a lot of divorces do, that I drank too much and I I ran around too much. I didn't neglect him. Uh, I'm sorry that this happened, but I'm not going to take the guilt for what my children are doing now. And this makes me feel good. And this is one of the things I learned here, that I it's not my fault. And I'm trying real hard. I uh, felt real discouraged because I've only got through the first step until I talked to um, Stoney's wife the other day. And she says, well, that's good. You know, that like she didn't do near that well. <laughs> you know, and I felt really bad because here I've been coming since December and just didn't got through one step and I, I'm just caught right there, and I can't seem to get any further right now. So it's just going to take a little time. So I hope that you people will keep helping me like you have so I can get through this new crisis I have. I'm dealing with it a heck of a lot there than I did with the first one. And I'm just thankful for this program, and I'm certainly glad that I found it. Thank
7: you. He was on a dry drunk until last May 15th when he came into Elanon.